Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we're going to look at scriptures from Sunday to Saturday, the week of Second Epiphany. Now, Epiphany Day is January the 6th. January the 6th. And it's celebrating the Magi bringing gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Jesus. The Epiphany, or Epiphanos is the Greek word, that's the appearing of Jesus. So we move from the Christmas Day service where the shepherds are rejoicing and the baby Jesus is born in the, uh, born to uh, Mary and Joseph. And then uh, January 1st, he is circumcised and given the name Jesus. And on January the 6th, the Magi come. And now on the Epiphany 1, we celebrate his baptism by John, his cousin John in the Jordan. In Epiphany 2, we are now celebrating he is sharing the gospel. He is sharing the gospel, and he's got probably a three-year ministry. Now, in the daily readings, as you see in your program, you'll see Isaiah. We have been in Isaiah for several weeks. You see Ephesians, fabulous book, Ephesians. And our gospel reading is from Mark chapter 3, verse 7, to chapter 5, verse 20. All right. So the idea is that you, you and I read these scriptures every day. We pray about them. We reflect on them. We think about them. Uh, we um, ask God to give us revelation, ask God to give us wisdom about them. And perhaps you're going through something in your life right now and you need wisdom and you need guidance, you need discernment. And this is where the Bible and the reading of the scriptures come into hand. You might have a uh, study Bible, which might uh, gives you notes at the bottom of the page that helps. It has pictures, graphs, um, geography, maps, all kinds of list of tables that help the student with their learning of the Old and New Testament. But you might be like me. All I've got is the Bible, and I'm reading it, and I'm reflecting on it, and I'm studying it, and I'm asking God to speak to me, which is perfectly fine. Let's start with Isaiah 43, verse 14. Now, these middle chapters in Isaiah, we're going to be looking at 43, 44, 45, and 46, are just fabulous. They're fabulous. Um, obviously, we don't have enough time to go through them all, but just to, going to give you a, a wonderful taste. I am the Lord, your Holy One, chapter 43, verse 15, the creator of Israel, your king. Now that right there, I could spend 20 minutes on that sentence. What does it mean for him to be the Lord? What does it mean for him to be the Holy One, full of holiness? What does it mean to be the creator of Israel? What does it mean for him to be the king? All lofty positions, all positions that only the Lord God, Yahweh, has. Thus says the Lord, who makes the way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, verse 17. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So as we begin a new year together, what is the Lord doing in your life? What new ways is he opening up? What new vistas? What new ideas is he giving you? Where do you see him working in your life? Isaiah 44, 6 through 8. 
Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, back to the king again, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, another name, Redeemer. I am the first and I'm the last. Besides me, there is no God. Another great title of his, the first and the last. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Now, there, of course, Israel was surrounded by uh, nations that had idols and multiple gods in many cases. And so he's saying, I am the Lord. I am the king. I am the redeemer. I am the creator. I am the Lord of all. Besides me, there is no other. Let him declare and set it before me since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Verse 8. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? I can tell you what's going to happen in the future because I make history happen. And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is a rock, no rock. I know not any. There's no one like me. So the idea behind that is we are to worship the Lord and put him first. There is no other God. All these idols that these people worship, these surrounding nations and peoples worship, can't do anything because they're not even real. And people fall down and worship them and have traditions around them that are completely false. And so this God is saying, I am the true God. I am the true God. 44, 9 to 20, the fall of idolatry. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight do not profit. That's what I just said. Their witness, witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a God or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Nobody does that. Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame. Verse 11, chapter 44. The craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame altogether. And then he just talks about idols, talks about what idols can do, what idols cannot do. Um, and it is a fascinating thing to see how great God is. They know not, nor they to discern, verse 18. For he has shut their eyes so they cannot see in their hearts so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge and discernment to say half of it. Half of it I burned in the fire. I also break, baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? These idols that the people make, they can't do anything. Am I going to fall down before a block of wood and worship it? No, doesn't make any sense at all. Chapter 45. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him, verse 1, to loosen the belts of kings, to open doors before him, that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. This is a, God, a holy God. This is an active God. This is a God that does things. This is a God that is active in people's lives. Verse 5, I am the Lord, there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west, there's another but beside me. So Isaiah over and over shows us the value of the Lord, the significance of the Lord, the reality of the Lord, the kind of person the Lord is. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. The Lord is powerful. The Lord is mighty. The Lord is great. The Lord is the Lord of all. Verse 12 of chapter 45, I made the earth, I created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their host. 
He continues to say who he is and the fact that we should come to him and worship him and bow down before him. That would be the wise way to live. Finally, Isaiah 46, verses 1 to 13. Listen to me, verse 3, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even the old age, I am he. To gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry, I will save. To whom will you liken me and make me equal? Who are you going to compare me to that we may be alike? There's no one to compare with the Lord. There's no one greater than him. There's no one that can save us. There's no one that knows us. I am God, verse 9. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me. Declared, Declaring the end from the beginning. I can tell you what's going to happen in the beginning. I can tell you what's going to happen in the end. I can tell you what's going to happen every single day of the year. From ancient times, things not done. My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So as you're reading this wonderful book of Isaiah, chapter 43 to 46, it is just full of references to how great God is. This is where we need to deepen our relationship with the Lord. This is where we need to put him first in our lives. This is where we need to feel and experience and know the presence of God in our lives. And this person can reside in us. This great God who is real can reside in us. Well, Paul's letter to the Ephesians is a very, very uh, powerful uh, six chapters. Very powerful. Um, And we are on the second half of it. Uh, The week of one epiphany, we looked at the first half, chapter 4, 1 to 16. I urge you as a prisoner of the Lord to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Walk. How are you living your life? What are you doing? How are you living on a day-to-day basis? We're at the beginning of a new year. What are some of the habits in my life that need to go away? They're not producing fruit. They're sinning against the Lord. They're rebelling against the Lord. They are actions that are not doing His will. Then secondly, what are the things that I need to do to honor the Lord, to obey the Lord, to do His will? Okay? Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Boy, aren't those four great qualities to have? Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Another great quality. There is one body and one spirit, verse 4, chapter 4, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. The calling of God. It matters what we believe. It matters what we do. It matters what we think. It matters how we behave. God is very much interested in that. Very much interested in that. Chapter 4, verse um, 15 Speaking the truth in love. It's a great way to live. Speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head unto Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the way it's supposed to work, people. That's the way it's supposed to work. Paul beautifully identifies that. Now, we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, chapter 4, verse 18. 
they are alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance due to the hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, verse 20. But this is not the way you learn Christ. You're not supposed to live like that. You're not supposed to live like an ungodly, unrighteous, unholy person. Okay? You are to be renewed in the attitude of the spirit of your mind, verse 23. You and I are to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So this fourth chapter is a beautiful chapter telling us how we should live. There's a lot to think about here. I just gave you a couple of verses uh, that are very beautiful, very powerful. Chapter 5. Therefore... Be imitators of God. What if everybody was an imitator of God? Wouldn't that be something? As beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What if we did that? What if everybody walked in love? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. But he says in verse 3 of chapter 5, sexual immorality and all impurity, covetousness must not even be named among you. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor Crude joking, which are out of place, out of place. Instead, there must be thanksgiving. Again, this is exactly what he wants us to do. This is exactly what he doesn't want us to do. The Lord gives it from a negative perspective. The Lord gives it from a positive perspective. Walk as children of light, chapter eight B. I mean, chapter five eight B. The fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. You want to produce light. You want to produce the fruit of the light? Do what is good, what is right, and what is true. Look carefully how you walk, verse 15 of chapter 5. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Be wise. Be wise in what you're doing, people. And then he talks about wives and husbands in the second half of chapter 5 of Ephesians. I commend that to you. A very wise way to live as a married person. Wives, submit to your husbands. The husband is the head of the wife. It's Christ is the head of the church. As the church submits to Christ, so the wives should submit, to Christ, uh, should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands are supposed to love their wives. Wouldn't that be great if husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her? That's our responsibility, men. Okay. In the same way, husbands, verse 28, should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself beautiful. And in chapter 6, he talks about children. Obey your parents in the Lord. Verse 1, this is right. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Bring fathers, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Best way to live. Teach your children the instruction of the Lord. And then finally, the whole armor of God in chapter 6, 10 to 24. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Verse 12, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the battle is not what you can see. The battle is what you cannot see. Remember the world, the flesh, and the devil? So the devil is very powerful. And he tells you in the second half of chapter 6 of Ephesians how to put on certain apparel so that you can stand having fastened the belt of truth in 14, put on the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes on your feet in 15, take up the shield of faith in 16, the helmet of salvation in 17, the sword of the spirit in 17, and in 18, pray at all times in the spirit. So he gives you a prescription for 
how to deal with the power of evil. The power of evil. You might be asking yourself, how do I do that? Read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. 10 to 20. Let's look at Mark's gospel. So we've got beautiful scriptures about who God is and the reality of who God is in Isaiah 44, 45, and 46. Some beautiful instructions for holy living uh, in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. Read those scriptures slowly and carefully. And then finally, we're on our journey with Jesus in Mark. Jesus, uh, Jesus has been baptized. He has begun his ministry. 3-7, let's see what he's doing in 3-7. A great crowd is following him. Why are they following him? Because he's doing incredible things. He's healing. He's casting out devils. His words are amazing. He is raising people from the dead. He is doing nature miracles, walking on water, calming the wind and the seas. And he calls up the 12 apostles in three, um, 313. He gives them authority. He goes home. He talks and shares with people the Word of God. So he's not only preaching the Word of God, he is teaching them. He's giving his disciples and the people instruction. It's important to have knowledge about the Lord. This is one of the reasons that the New Testament is very important in terms of reading those Gospels. And very clearly, what is Jesus saying? What is he doing right now? Is he healing? Is he casting out a devil? Is he preaching? Is he um, doing miracles? Is he, like the feeding of the 5,000, another fantastic miracle? Uh, is he uh, teaching the people? Is he talking to the, uh, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Is he instructing them? My brother and brothers came, and standing outside, verse 31 of chapter 3, crowd was sitting around. Your brother and your brothers are outside seeking you. He answered them, Who are my brother and my mother? Looking around, he who sat around him, he had a crowd of people around him that were listening to him. That would have been fabulous, right? Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he's my brother and sister and mother. Doing the will of God, that's the key. The parable of the sower in chapter 4. So he covers those 41 verses in chapter 4. We have the great parable of the sower and the explanation of the prayer of the, of the great parable. Remember the four soils? The sower goes out to seed, and Jesus not only tells us the parable, he tells us what it means. He talks about the lamp under the basket. Remember, to one who is more, more will be given, verse 25. From the one who is not, even what he has will be taken away. The parable of the growing seed, the kingdom of God, is that if a man should scatter seed on the ground, he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how, and then it starts producing things, and then the harvest comes. So the kingdom of God is always working. It seems like nothing's going on, but something actually is. The parable of the mustard seed, Jesus calms the storm. Remember, we talked about the great nature miracles in th beginning in 35 of chapter 4. He's sitting on the, he's sleeping. There's a storm at sea in the Sea of Galilee, which is not uncommon. He rebukes the disciples. He rebukes the wind and the waves. Don't you guys have any faith? He says that in, um, why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? Verse 40, after, he's, after he rebukes the wind and the waves, peace be still, and then rebukes them. 
They were filled with great fear, verse 41. And they said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So they're, they're in the boat. There's a terrible squall. There's a terrible storm. He's sleeping. He's not concerned. He stands up. He rebukes it. Everything quiets down. Then he looks at him and says, you don't have it. Why don't you have any faith? Look at all the stuff that I've done. You don't believe that I can take care of this? So this is a wonderful thing that we might want to think about ourselves. What do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe with the circumstances that you're dealing with in your life now? Do you believe that God is taking care of you, will take care of you, is on your side? It may appear like he's sleeping, but he knows what's going on. Finally, in chapter 5, 1 through 20, is the healing of a demon-possessed man. This is a very long text in Mark particularly. And this person, uh, Jesus, is uh, in Gentile territory, and he goes to the Gerasenes. Jesus steps out of the boat, and immediately there met him out of the tomb, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. He was extremely dangerous, extremely dangerous. He broke the shackles and the chains. He broke the chains apart, broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. He had a legion of demons. Jesus cast the demons out of him. They, the demons go into the pigs. The pigs go over the abyss and drown. The people beg Jesus to depart from the region. Verse 17, the demon-possessed man who is now of sound mind and body wants to go with Jesus. Go home, Jesus says, to your friends and tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. You go and proclaim the kingdom. The people get upset because they lost their pigs. They were more concerned about the pigs than they were this man. He does this phenomenal miracle, amazing miracle. So when you look at chapter 3 and 4 and 5, you see um, this amazing person speaking the word of the Lord, gathering his 12 apostles, sharing the, his gift of parables and teaching with us, calming the storm, healing a demon-possessed man. He has multiple gifts that he's given us. Well, what a great week for reading the week of Second Epiphany. Isaiah, Ephesians, and Mark. Enjoy abundantly, and we'll see you next week for the third week of Epiphany. God bless you.